0: The podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf and sometimes more. I'm Taylor Trask. I'm Todd A. And uh, we have a fun one today, Todd. This is something, this is a topic I've brought up to you and I forget exactly what we were talking about. It was one of our threads with uh, yeah. the infamous Drew Huddleston. Um, shout out to Drew, and it, something had been said, and I forget what. And I should have looked it up before we started recording. And I said, "Ooh, let's do an episode about this." And yeah. spe- I, I guess if you read the title, you know you know what we're talking about. I don't have to tease it. Like we're going to be talking about our favorite, not best necessarily, but our favorite. No, I think uh, best. Okay, best. <laughs> and well, we'll get into that. Uh, favorite comic book slash graphic novel movie or TV adaptations. Um, and oh I stress the word adaptation because we're not talking about our favorite Marvel movie or our favorite comic book movie in general. We're talking about those filmed properties. Let's just say it's we really do need a catch all for both movies and TV, right? Because it's like it's it's weird to have to separate them. Still, it's like it's all just video content. I mean, video. Let's just say. So like, <laughs> there. What are the videos that have been made? explicitly off of books and, you know, maybe they adapted it loyally. Maybe they, they, they shifted it, but what are the best executions of those ideas? Um, I, I think, is that, I mean, is that fair? Is that a fair? Yeah, I, okay.
1: Well, I like that we, uh, especially that you, you described it as adaptations because we immediately got into a whole slew of like just comic books. And then in my brain, I was thinking of like, well, things like, uh, it, um, oh my gosh, the, was it just called Infinity War?
0: <laughs> Wait, which one? The, the one, that... <laughs> the first one. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: I was thinking of Infinity Gauntlet. Well, Infinity and like, Gauntlet. You know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and then going through that whole thing of like, well, was it an adaptation or was this something that borrowed from all the Infinity sagas and blah blah blah? And you know, I'm like spiraling out of control. And we texted about it. And said, no, no, let's just focus on adaptations. And and the conversation with Drew, I think, was the thing that uh, was started with um, a discussion of the Matrix which is uh, uh, that's a right. great trilogy. I love when you guys discuss that because you're both well-versed in it. And I have only seen the first one only once on home oh my video God and oh my barely God. paid attention. What? And so I like to chime in with nonsense to get you guys start like debating back and forth when I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about or what it means to anything. So I, I am I just totally trolling world. both of you and I have I'm, just acknowledged it.
0: I want to live in a world where the Matrix two and three don't exist. And I live like in that own, world. <laughs> I, I know that's what I'm saying. I want to join you in that world. That talk about oh my god, that's one of the greatest missed opportunities in movie history, in my opinion. We should that's that'll be another episode. The top five greatest well,
1: missed. And this is how it all came up, and we were talking about um, the Wachowskis, and yep. oh yes, um, yes, yes, then, yes, that's Then right. we went into a movie that will show up on our one of our lists today, and that's. It was a very organic conversation that led us to this, this point. And it's an easy... Oh, man. We talked about how it's like end of summer. We're we're breaking this heat wave. I said that in our last episode, just in time for California to get another heat wave. Oh. So I'm expecting the announcement from my electric company any moment that says, like, mm. please turn out all your lights for the next five days because <laughs> we Bummer. might black you out. Um, yeah, we're going to be in the hundreds over the weekend. Oh. Uh, so this Ugh. this episode will be out after this all happens, but it's, you know, we're just back in it. Ugh. I
0: don't even want to tell you what it's like here. It's, it would just depress you. We, well, uh, we've
1: had a few days of that, like 60s at night and sort of like low 80s in the day. And then it's just, it's going to be sweltering this weekend. Uh, so Bummer. bummer. <clears throat> yeah. It well, will affect got, uh, the role-playing games that I play online that we talked about in our last episode. Oh,
0: that's right. So. Yeah. And go listen to that title. Our episode titled Red, Green, Purple. Red purple if, green. Red purple green. God. RPG. Jesus. RPG, thank you, guys. I, I was trying to be all clever and say the say the words. No, <laughs> RPG. It was a great it was a great little episode. It was our last one, 154 if I'm not mistaken. Um, but no, this is good. I I've always sort of wanted to take inventory of uh all my favorite adaptations. And again, distinguishing, cool. we're not talking about, you know, it, the Iron Man movie with Robert Downey Jr. is not based on a specific book. It's sort of an amalgamation of different Iron Man storylines yeah. that and just you know, themes and things. We're talking about actual source material being put on screen. So, I I'll give you, gentlemen's, you know, gentlemen starts. Uh, sure, and which isn't I, a thing, but I'll make it in that I'll make it. We that.
1: didn't coordinate too much on this, but w- so we developed our lists in private, knowing that yep. we would yep. cross over on some things. Um, and what I told you in, in preparation for it was that uh, I. I knew we would cross over on on some picks, and so I leaned into these where I thought like, uh, so I you know I I am not trying to break your rule. I just okay. wanted to talk about movies that were comic adaptations, even if I was unfamiliar with the comic comic. Okay. So, <laughs> kicking that off is uh, was actually an honorable mention that I thought we should mention, but I put it in my fifth slot, knowing we would agree on something later, which is uh, three hundred, and I. Felt like 300 needed to be in there because it really kicked off the whole Snyder verse Snyder revolution that has, you know, for better or worse, led us to the the point where we are in the DC cinematic universe. Um, But at the time, I mean, it it really was a breath of fresh air in the way that it had been sort of painted to look illustrated, you know, with the um, uh, just with the color correction and uh, whatever other effects were layered onto it. Uh, and it was also, I think, um, uh, you know, was it followed, or did it follow Sin City?
0: It uh, oh ooh
1: ooh I don't even remember, and I should have looked that up because I, I was reading about both movies, but um, it, I'm gonna say it you followed know followed
0: Sin City because that was oh 0- it s- did oh oh no Sin City was oh five so yeah it came okay after. so right
1: after so there there was this sort of established tradition around both of those of of making a frank miller book mm. look sort of illustrated on screen in some way and i yeah. i really think it has to be called out because uh, whether you like the movie or not or like what it uh gave birth to you know in the, in the rest of the snyder films um it it changed the way we look at comic book movies and yeah. it was a much better movie than than other movies that had tried to do that something like that you it know? was
0: something that it was the first time well maybe not the first time but it was one of the biggest times where th- a, an adaptation like that leaned as far into the aesthetic yeah. and the vibe and the character of the source material like it was not ashamed to be what it was and i think yeah. up until that point you always kind of had this you know you even see it with the i mean as good as they are you see it with the the snyder uh, sorry, the singer X Men movies um, from yeah. the early two thousands, where it's like we're gonna, ha- it's the X Men, but we're gonna make them as sort of real and contemporary and kind of sexy and just, you know, yeah. this isn't this isn't cheesy. This we it can't be cheesy. Like that's sort yeah. of the it permeated everything. And then Sin City was kind of like, oh no, it doesn't have to be cheesy, but it has to be the thing that it is for it to well, really work.
1: And and something that that uh, that is true about both Sin City and three hundred is that they also were doing their best to stay faithful to Frank Miller's art.
0: Yes. And, yes.
1: and that's a thing that we're, I mean, I, I would be hard pressed to name more than two or three movies that can do that. And like name check that, you know? So yeah. anyway, for that's, that's my kickoff. Um, uh, I don't have too much more to say about 3000 or 300. Oh, great. <laughs> that's the, what a great Freudian slip. Three other than the thousand. fact that there were 7,000 Greeks there, not just 300, ah. but anyway, uh, well, I'm going to pitch it to you. What is your fifth?
0: Ah, okay. So this is some of these might surprise you. Um,
1: I can't wait I, for this. Honestly, I'm so glad we did this in secret. It's like the when we used to just surprise each other with book picks.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has a little of that. And I think it was. Um, I was sort of. You know, there were a couple. There were several I left off my list. I'll get to the. I'll do my sort oh, of like okay. me- yeah. honorable mentions at the end. Um, Sin City was one of them. So that's. I'm glad you brought it up. Oh, okay, cool. It's, it's. I mean, this is why I stress the the word favorite because if we tried to like objectively describe the best this may be a very different list for me oh yeah
1: it'd be terrible yeah
0: and there's a very specific reason why I like my top three are what they are so I'm gonna, and, I'll, I'll,
1: and you know, sin it. city it's cool to hear that that was on your list uh at one point because that was a movie that i just did not connect with really i really really wanted to like it and then just you know just found myself like ugh, you know it's like what is this the matrix <sighs>
0: Do you don't know really help me though I, I ended up watching a little mini documentary about the making of it and I'm a big Robert Rodriguez fan anyway just mm-hmm. in general even if I don't like what he's making I just like him I like, I like his approach and so he had this kind of like mini documentary about the making of it and I was I just hearing them talk about the source material and like their love of the book and it reminded me a lot of the behind the scenes making of the Lord of the Rings where it was clear right. everybody involved really gave a shit about the source material yeah this was this was clear here and then they had Frank Miller you know, you know mid 2000s Frank Miller like, you know, he's talking about it and like, oh, my God, you know, they did it. And he just everybody's so happy with that. aesthetic. It, it made me want to like it more. And so I've revisited it several nice. times throughout the years. I actually even like the sequel, which isn't as well received. I completely um, forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's I mean, it's a great little, great little. Uh, it's a great little twofer. Um, but my number five is a movie that came out There's a building theme here when a lot of these people, a lot of these properties were adapted in the mid two thousands. I think we're going to see that evolve like sin city, 2005, 300, 2006. Guess what else was 2005 though? Uh, just see if you can, remember. it's going to be, when I say it, you're probably going to be like, oh my God, that's right. That's an adaptation. I'm afraid to guess. <laughs> <laughs> there was a great little indie movie starring Viggo Mortensen and Maria Bello and Ed Harris called A History of Violence. Oh my gosh. It came out in 2005 and yes, based on a very acclaimed graphic novel, um, people forget this was one of the, you know. Kind of of that golden era of adaptations, like this was there. This is one of them, and so I connected with the movie. um Well, I connected with the trailer first and foremost. I forget what movie I saw at the front of. It. I was like, "Holy crap, what is this?" So then it came out. I saw it. I loved it. Like just, I mean, they nailed everything about it. Um, and then I was like, okay. Later on, when I kind of got back into comics, like, oh my god, I gotta. I didn't. I didn't realize it was an adaptation. I'm gonna go find that that book. Read the book. I like the book, but I love the movie. Like oh, cool. what the movie did with that source material. Like, book is great. Like I'm glad it existed. It's it, the book was actually '97, um, published by Paradox Press and then later by Vertigo. Um, so it was an indie indie title to begin with, and then Vertigo picked it up. But yeah, in the late '90s, so eight years before the movie, um, which is nice because it wasn't one of those that was sort of circle you know, it, I, I hate I hate when books aren't even on sale yet and they've been optioned. It's like, right, right public weigh in on this before <laughs> you, you you get to that point. Um and then I want to shout out the director uh, David Cronenberg uh directed this. John Wagner's the graphic novel uh uh author with Vince Locke um and then the uh writers of the movie oh the screenplay was Josh Olsen so Josh Olson Olson really understood that material he trans you know translated it well David Cronenberg really got the kind of the aesthetic um of the whole thing. And so, which is crazy cuz think about what Cronenberg's done. Like The Fly, Dead Ringers, Crash. Like all these kind of other movies so to see him take on a a comic book or graphic novel adaptation was really really cool. I if I, I don't know if you know anything about the movie, um here's the I mean, I, I encourage everybody to go out and Google or go to YouTube and find the trailer cuz it's just a, it's a killer trailer trailer even now. But imagine Viggo Mortensen is this mild-mannered guy living in like literally you know, all-star middle America. Um, you could pick any town in Kansas or South Dakota or Nebraska, and this would be that town. And he's running this diner uh, locally. And all of a sudden Harris, Ed Harris rolls in, you know, looking like he's a killer from the mafia with some, you know, some, some wise guys with him. And he says that uh, Vigo Mortensen's character is not who he says he is. He's like, you know, we know who you are, Richie. And he's like, I I, I don't know who that is. And there's this kind of mis- case of mistaken identity um, and these mafia guys think that Viggo Mortensen is this sort of legendary, you know, executioner, essentially. And then that's where it begins. And the entire movie unravels that question. And like, you know, is he who he is? If he's not, who is he? You know, like what it what is who's lying? Who's not lying? Like, I mean, and then it just gets more and more, you know, comp, more and more complicated. And then the ending is just a, it's almost like a, a, a very interesting tonal shift in the ending, but it's it's necessary. So I, I mean, as a film, it works incredibly well. And it's just, it's one of those wonderful, you know, when I read comics or graphic novels and I'm like, man, this would work so well as a movie. I also, I don't want it to just be a, a panel by panel retelling of it necessarily. I want the film to kind of stand and live on its own. And so for an adaptation to both honor the material so loyally and just be a freaking great film, uh, history of Violence, two thousand five. That's my number five.
1: Well, I'll tell you what is uh, really interesting about that is I, when you said History of Violence, I, you know, my brain went like, oh right, that was a graphic novel, and then I immediately yep. had to Google because I was like, right, the one where he's naked for like fifteen <laughs> minutes having a fight in a shower, and then. And then I was like, "Wait, no, that's not a history of violence, is it?" No. So no, that was Eastern Promises, yeah, which uh, I just discovered was also directed by David Cronenberg.
0: Ah, was that I Viggo had, Mortensen? Yes. Okay. Uh, in well, 2007. Two, uh, yeah. Oh, interesting. So he came How, back for more. He came back. Have for you not show? seen that? I have it not. No, I've heard about it.
1: Brutal. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's crazy. So anyway, not not graphic novel based, but yeah, I love that pick. That's that's a great one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, people forget. What's what's on your list next? What do you got coming up?
1: Well, I um, I got one of my uh, one of my my surprises for you here.
0: Okay, uh, here we go.
1: Atomic Blonde.
0: Ah, uh, see, now I was I was gonna include that in an honorable mention too because I, uh, I have not seen the movie, but what? I know people love it. And I know uh, it exists. But go ahead, like, did, did, give me the give me the pitch. Give me the pitch it, for the book or the movie.
1: Uh, well, I, I mean, I, it's it's so hard to. Uh, approach anything about it cuz i i just think it's it's really 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 well done. It is yeah. one of those where once you know it was a graphic novel because it was a graphic novel called The Coldest City by Anthony Johnston. Um I was not what familiar a weirdly
0: with Weirdly odd. I mean that talk about a title shift, Jesus. The yeah. Coldest City? That doesn't sell any of that, does it? I mean, is it accurate? Does that it, come into play at all?
1: I kind of think it's more accurate than Atomic Blonde. I think Atomic, really? Atomic Blonde oh, really okay. left me with a weird taste in my mouth. Like, huh. uh, uh, like it was going to be a Luc Besson, like um, nonsense violence kind of thriller, like like Besson went on to make with Anna. I don't know if you've yeah. seen that or yeah, yeah. Anna. Um, but Atomic Blonde is like, the, you know, <laughs> in opposition to that. Like it's a really good Cold War story. It has a couple of twists. Um You know, one you can kind of see coming from a mile away and and one that you you can't and it's but it's got the and it's got this killer soundtrack of all these 80 songs that they either redid or have remastered in such a way that they are just like, you know, they just grab your scrotum and like pull you in like they're so
0: so, so first time like I've just ever heard that phrase yeah like, i mean they're well, it, i mean I'm it's gonna, like i'm gonna borrow that i,
1: I never remember Der commissar being like a kick-ass song you know it was always like a kooky like uh kitschy song yeah, yeah,
0: and yeah. you hear
1: it in this movie and you're like oh my god like she's gonna kick ass to this
0: that guitar rift is legendary <laughs> um yeah
1: and it's it's it has this aesthetic that, of course, once you find out it, what, and you know, not that this makes too much of a difference because a lot of movies are now oversaturated or desaturated in a way that makes them reminiscent of comic books. But it has that aesthetic that, like, yeah. when you hear it was a graphic novel, you're like, oh, right, I can see that. Um, and I, I think what's so intriguing to me is that it is just its own story. There's nothing that's got to come before it, there's nothing that's got to come after it. Like, you're done. You know, you're like, wow, that, that was intense. And it's over. And it's stars. I mean, like, I think Charlize did most of her own stunts. I think she hurt herself pretty terribly in a couple of them. I think she was in her 40s when she did this. Um, Like, it, it opens with her completely naked in a tub covered in bruises and it's not hard to imagine like I, those might be real
0: yeah yeah <laughs> this might
1: be you know she's like in a tub of ice like treating her own bruises and you're like I this might have actually happened <laughs> um, don't be
0: mistaken that was her regeneration chamber charlie's right. Theron is still 28 years old uh, like what we say I mean, or do
1: it's it's just it's just a great movie um and it's great in that way of when you've when I found out it was a uh, graphic novel, it was it made me want to check out that graphic novel, which I have not yet. But you know, it stuck in my mind as one of the uh, my all time uh, adaptations. So what about you? What's number four?
0: Uh, cool. Number four is should be no surprise to anybody. It's the thing that basically kickstarted my love of comics all over again. 2009's nine's Watchmen. Uh, now. I can already hear some people go, that's not a good adaptation. Let me explain.
1: I, you're not, you're not going to get that argument from me. I you know, know,
0: I know, but I, I can already hear there's going to be the select listener who's like, oh, it's not my watchman. I'm like, okay, fine. That's fine. And, and <laughs> I'll just say this at the t- at the outset. I totally, and, and I'll even name check somebody, Charles Webso, who makes a very articulate, educated point about what the book is and what the movie can never be. And that's why it fails. And I, I, both understand and appreciate that argument. But here's my point. If, if you're going to take, I mean, like Zack Snyder does 300. It goes massively well. He gets his Tom Hanks golden ticket. Remember after Forrest Gump where like Tom Hanks had kind of had this run, this five-year run, and it kind of culminated with Forrest Gump. And that, that was so successful that Studio basically said, you can do whatever you want. Whatever you want, we'll pay for it. We don't care. Do whatever you want. His choice was to, to write, direct, write the songs for, and star in That Thing You Do, which is one of my favorite movies. Zack Snyder gets the same deal. It's like 300 is so, do whatever you want. And he says, I want to adapt Watchmen. And they're like, oh, okay, well, that's another comic book movie. I think, you know, do do it again. here. Yeah, do it again. And I think the studio kind of had these hopes that Watchmen would be as big, if not bigger than 300. So some of the fault lies in their marketing. They had some like very interesting trailers and things that I don't think quite worked as well as they could have. Ah, that's another discussion. Um, but like it's, um, Oh, hang tight. Hang tight. Um, I was just
1: looking up the box office of it.
0: (laughs) I I was just about to look something up too. It's interesting you say that. No. Um, but like, here's the thing. It, if you're going to adapt that book, your your only choices are to do what Damon Lindelof does and said and go. We're just gonna we're gonna kind of sequelize it while also making something entirely new that is specifically designed for the medium of video. That's why the HBO series works so well, among many other things. But that's kind of the, the main foundation. If you're not gonna do that, you kind of have to do the the book. Like I can't imagine uh, adapting Watchmen in a way where you change the characters slightly or the costumes or the like the the look and the feel and the vibe and all of that is so central to that story you kind of have to just do it exactly as written as exactly as yeah. drawn Well, so now, Zach Sander, oh go ahead do
1: you say that anticipating or knowing that criticism of the movie is that he was too on the nose with keeping things that way
0: the, well there's three central criticisms of the movie one it shouldn't have never been made anyway because the book is not you can't it's not meant to be adapted and and I get why, they, why people say that and I, I again I appreciate that argument I just like the fact, well, I'll get to that in a second. So, like, that's that's critique number one. Critique number critique number two is they didn't do the squid, you know, and that just for some reason Snore. people focus. People, thank you. People focus on that, and yeah, the Watchmen HBO show proved you can do the squid. Zack Snyder just didn't want to, and the economics of the of the film were such that he, from a story standpoint, and then from a budget standpoint, was just like, look, we we're at the end we can't do that because that's yeah. loaded with so much more it just it changes the traje- trajectory of the movie well that's, and
1: i think i think you and i have labored over and i'm sorry i interrupted so i hope you remember your third point right. is I that i i think snyder did what is critical in a lot of adaptations which is say you know my choice is be faithful to this or or uh or thematically end it in a way like ended in a way that is, that is thematically consistent with the yes. source material, even if I can't shoot what the source material was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. What is the third you, criticism? Well, the third criticism is, is more what you were just mentioning, which is, and this is the, the probably the least of the three, which is like, Oh, he didn't do anything new. He just did the book. Oh, and I'm come like, on. yeah, but here's the thing. That book as popular as it is, there is a whole majority of Americans globally too, audience members globally who'd never heard of it. Like I was one of them. Like I came into that, you know, Mm. I might've seen the Watchmen as a a title somewhere, but I didn't know what it meant or what it was, or, you know, I just had no familiarity at all. This trailer pops up. I'm like, what the hell is this? And I just got so intrigued, went and saw it, fell in love with it to the point where I bought the book immediately and then just started devouring everything that Ellen Moore ever did cuz so it's hmm. in one way that movie worked incredibly well it converted me to both really appreciate the book and understand the nuances and understand why it's different and better than the movie at the same time like it was a gateway drug it was a beautiful yeah. gateway drug and it has to look like the book otherwise what are you doing like it's right. not like you know even Iron Man which was very you know, up until Robert Downey Jr no no one really knew Iron Man so they did yeah. Exactly what Iron Man looked like, you know, in the most recent comic at that time. It's not like they didn't try to make him green or, or you know, different, right. differently abled. or something. It's like it was just, it was just Iron Man. Here it is. So Watchmen has to be that. Like you can't change that. So the fact that he did it and did so many panels so loyally. Oh yeah. Um, and then just the and cast, uh, with the exception, and I, you know, I love me some Matthew Goody, but he is not Ozzy Mendez. I'm sorry. He did a, <laughs> he did a fine job, but when you consider that Jude Law was also being you know, asked to to play that role. Like Jude Law was probably their number one pick. I want to see that version of this. Well, I'm like, Give me the Jude Law Ozymane Diaz, please. Cause that, Oh, yeah. but like the cast, um, can't,
1: can't we take him down a couple of pegs after assassin's creed and the snowman
0: was he, was he in both of those <laughs> back to back?
1: What was he in assassin's creed? The star.
0: <laughs> I thought that was, no, 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 that's a uh, fast I thought, Oh,
1: I got them mixed up. You're
0: ah, right. wait, see, which one is in? Um, Jude Law.
1: Sorry, Jude Law. Fassbender. Jude Law.
0: Jude Law is 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 the star of the wildly right. successful I, I Heart Huckabee's. That's the only thing you should know him from. Um, yeah,
1: and Sky Captain of Tomorrow. Just I actually ge- haven't seen that. Oh my God, it's garbage. But, but let's move um, back to the cast. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got Jackie us off track. Jackie Earl
0: this. Haley as Rorschach. Like, Amazing. I mean, just that alone would have been worth the ticket price, because we hadn't heard from Jackie oh, yeah. Earl Haley in, in 20 years. He pops up and gives us the definitive Rorschach. Yeah. Like, start to... I mean, like, there, he is the only person that should be legally allowed to even touch that character in any portrayal. But then you got Jeffrey Dean Morgan as freaking the comedian yeah. slash Edward Blake. like. It's rock solid. Patrick Wilson, rock solid.
1: I'm Billy glad you remember his name.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, I'm looking at the cast list on IMDb. Oh, nice. Milan Ackerman, Brock's like every, even, 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 um, uh, Laura Manel as Jenny Slater, Janie Slater. And then, um, uh, my favorite little inclusion, if you remember the movie Son-in-Law with Polly Shore, the female lead is Carla uh, Gugino. She's been in other stuff too, but that's always, I always go back to Son-in-Law. I was like, is that the lady from Son-in-Law?
1: been in like they a million get, good things.
0: <laughs> they make her Sally's Jupiter slash the original Silk Spectre. Yeah. And she's wonderful. Like it's just everything about this cast just except for Matthew Goody. He, and what he does, he does fine. But I, I think, you See, know, not
1: being familiar with him, I liked him just fine in it. Um, you know, when I first saw it. I would it, have I liked like he, to see Jude Fassbender in it, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> see, I was fine with it too at first, but then I read the book and I was like, oh, hmm, it could have been a little, and then they're like, and it would have been Jude Law. I was like, oh, man. Right. Oh, man. <laughs> well. <laughs> so, you know. I, I think
1: I, like a running theme through this and Watchmen, I think is so crucial to this because it, it's like the, right in the middle of that, you know, what I'm using the wrong word here, but like in that fulcrum, you know, of like the yeah, balance. Yeah. Of, like, we, we talk about the <laughs> uh, first world problem, the dark ages of superhero movies prior to Iron Man and even prior prior to X-Men, really, before that, before the singer X-Men, it felt like they're not... They're, nobody's making a superhero movie that appeals to the geeks and to a mainstream audience. You know, it mm-hmm. was like either it was too stupid for the, the you know, really hardcore fans to like... Um, or, it, you know, it was just, it was too geeky for the mainstream people to pick up on. X-Men changed all that. And before Iron Man, Iron Man and Watchmen, I think, came out in the same year or a year apart. Watchmen and it's like,
0: was 09, January yeah. of 09. So Iron Man had just come out. So like Watchmen was made before we, Iron Man came out. So it was Right. Like, you have to we didn't. In this, yeah. I just want to important. make a
1: point. We didn't have that Marvel aesthetic. You know, it wasn't yes. like this is how you make a superhero movie kind of thing
0: exactly so so if anything you have to salute it even more that like Zack snyder was gutsy enough to do it, the studio's guts gutsy enough to let him yeah and he spent all the money to bring you 90 know, percent of the book is brought to life in beautiful like the set design the costume design everything about it's just perfectly you know rendered um and yeah, the performances are wonderful. And yes, I understand the book, ha- all the supplemental material, all this nuance, the the sort of the, the geometry of it, like all of that can't be replicated in the in the film version. I get it. So yeah. the next best thing is just to replicate and pay the biggest homage to the book you possibly can, which is what he did. Um, here's the other interesting thing to consider. I think it benefited it that it didn't come out post, you know, post, in, let's just say Avengers. Right. Because there's a very specific idea now. I would argue too specific idea of what a superhero property should be, you know, should yes, look like adapted. Exactly. Watchmen got to sort of live in the space beforehand where like it could kind of it could paint new ground or you know, do new things. But the converse of that is I don't you know imagine if that came out imagine if the HBO thing hadn't happened and the movie came out now, where we've had ten plus years of a whole generation of kids understanding what a superhero story is and then to see this thing a movie version of the book which is deconstructing that that archetype deconstructing these people that you've spent now 10 15 years of your life loving this is what they really are like i think that would have been more impacting now than it would have been 09 but yeah. you can still go back you know you can watch it now all the same and still have that that takeaway but i think the movie might have worked better for bigger audiences if it had come out now but at the same time, we got it and the HBO series. So who's complaining?
1: I exactly. I it's you know, yeah. There was no template, and Snyder did that. Yeah. And what you talk about with with the event, the Avengers look, and like how terrible this would have been after Avengers. It wouldn't have, like it would have been harder for it to define its own character. That is exactly what DC struggling with with their movies right now. Yeah, you know, is is trying to make is you know, do they lean into the Snyder vision or do they you know become more like the Avengers? That's yeah, it's a, Well, it's interesting. It's yeah, but in that
0: in that regard, though the ones the DC movies that are working have have really settled on something very specific. So Aquaman is does not look anything like Wonder Woman and neither of those two mm. things look anything like a, a Snyder or a Marvel movie. You could argue Wonder Woman kind of has that yeah, DNA. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's like it's it's and I, you know, 84 will be interesting to see. Yeah, if 84 they does not. Yeah. Take it even further but like Aquaman was more like Tron than anything else. Like it just had that very sort of video game kind of you know thing, which it wasn't necessarily a mar. I mean, I I think when DC DC uh, sorry Warner Brothers, much like DC the the you know the publisher, I, it's weird how that symbiosis works. Where if you just let let the artists do whatever they want, and if it's not consistent, who cares? The strength is the individuality of the properties. Whereas Marvel has always been more about consistency, even in the comics. You know the days of the comics. DC's oh, always yeah. embraced different slices, and you know they, they have you know no less than twelve right. different versions of Batman running at a given time. For God's sake, so it's like, I don't
1: think the Marvel model works at all for DC. Like no, that's no. I think that's what's or holding vice them versa. back. Yeah, I
0: mean, as much as I would love to see Doctor Strange, a Doctor Strange movie look very, very different and feel very different from a you know Captain America movie. At the same time, if they ever, if you put them together. The dissonance can be a little too much to to overcome, you know, so I'd rather just I mean, like we live in a world now where DC has if you count Joker one Aquaman was very successful at the box office. Wonder Woman obviously was. Those are three very completely aesthetically different movies that did the best of the the best so far. Beat beat everything. Maybe even I don't think Man of Steel did as well as those three.
1: I would really doubt it.
0: <laughs> I would doubt it too. Anyway, Watchmen number four. I mean, it's 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 the thing that I will give Snyder passes on, uh, as long as I humanly can, just because he did such a great job, in my opinion. Anyway, what's what's your number three?
1: Uh, number three. Well, I was about to say it's the most fun one on my list. It may still be um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World.
0: Oh, this was on my honorable mentions list. I'm glad. You I haven't.
1: love this movie. I will defend it. I will acknowledge that I think it is a little bit too long. And I think that they did a weird job of publicizing it that hurt it. So it ended up looking looking like a flop, I think. But it is, I mean, uh, it, like, a, like another movie I will mention in a bit, um, it, I think it's sort of a cult classic. Like you can kind of revisit it. And 100%. feel the same way about it. I mean, I, I like Atomic Blonde, it has such great mu- musical cues. And uh, I I love the corny, um, like, visuals of it. Um, and it's uh, Edgar Wright, right? So yeah. it's like, yeah. I, I mean, it's just a killer, like, visual comedy. Um, I, you know, it, it had this whole generation of, um, you know, Stars that, will, that were all sort of on, the, you know, right below the A-list that were about to break through, you know. And there's mm-hmm. like Michael Sarah but you also forget about like Audrey Plaza and um oh my gosh. Dude, just,
0: Jason hey. Schwartzman, for God's sake. Well,
1: Schwartzman. And I um, heard
0: Huckabee's own Jason Schwartzman. See, I heard <laughs> Huckabee's now. Not in theaters, but you can find it on Amazon. Go, go on.
1: Yeah. Uh, Kieran Culkin. Um, Wait, uh, who is Kieran Culkin? He's his roommate. Oh uh, my god.
0: I you, you know forget? it's funny. I I can't see Kieran like it's like Kieran Culkin has this like Jesus time in his life where it's he went it's almost like in my mind he went from Home Alone to uh Succession and there was like nothing in between. It's just yeah. like he just showed up in Succession when Oh my god, there he is. I well, forget I, he was in these other things.
1: Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Chris yeah. Evans. Yeah. Uh, yes, Chris <laughs> Evans, that's
0: right. Um, uh, Brandon, Brandon Ruth.
1: Yeah. yeah. Anna Kendrick. Like it was loaded Brie Larson. I mean how am I forgetting Brie Larson? Like it's loaded oh with the Oh my all god, she was in that, wasn't she? Yeah. I, that like we're all about her and that. All on the precipice, you know? Um wow. and it, I just you know, I just think it's a, a really fun movie and it's really cute. And unfortunately it's one of those that's on my list that I've never checked out the comic because I find the art so off putting.
0: Uh um, see but I love uh, that same author did Seconds, which I've talked yeah. about on the show before, and I love. I it work that style works very well for specific things. I would I would ask you if you like the movie so much, give the even if the art bothers you, give a if you you can give if you can grab it or borrow it from the library, or even yeah. get it on Comixology for like a, a bar you know free borrow or something. Check it out because it, it's it is very charming and it has a lot of that same. Panache that the that the movie has. You know, again, yeah. this is another movie just like Sin City where leaning in to what the book does unabashedly mm. works incredibly well. Like if they had dialed that back even 10%, I don't think it would have been as nearly as as beloved as it is now.
1: I that's a that's great to hear. And I, I should qualify that. I mean, it's not that I find the art so off-putting. I mean, I don't I don't like connect with the art just but it was also a book that was a little hard to get into because there were so many volumes of it. So yeah. at, by the time I had heard of the book, which was still years before the movie came out, it, you know, I was like, oh, boy, if I get into this, I got to read 12 volumes of this thing. You know, it just felt like uh, like a uh, like a manga that's just going to go on forever. <laughs> Brian yeah, Lee O'Malley enough. is the Brian. Thank you. Thing. I was actually and Canadian. Right. I think. Um, and so it's because doesn't. Yeah. The movie's like pretty, pretty Canadian, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's but happened. I
0: mean, it almost looks like a stunt casting now. In hindsight, just look at this thing. It's almost like <laughs> what was that Seth Rogen movie where he just had all his friends in it, uh, End of the World or something to that effect. Oh, uh, yeah. And it was just, it was just like every every cameo you could ever want. This is kind of like that, but it's just they happened to be cheap at the time, so they could put yeah. everybody in. Good lord, I'm just, I mean, I'm just marveling it, at this list of people. It's crazy. It's
1: crazy in in retrospect, especially with um, uh, <laughs> Brie Larson and Chris Evans to think both of them were sort of like their, their feelers were out for that yeah. Marvel movie. You know, Chris Evans was in that other like sort of quasi superhero oh movie. I got Alison
0: Pill, who, you yeah. know, from, uh, from, I devs. Mean, from recently devs. Yeah. But many other things, but devs especially. And then Bill Hader is the voice. Oh, That's man. like early, early SNL Bill Hader. Well, this is That's 2010. Funny. So this is interesting. Like we're, we're seeing a trend now where um, 2005 through 2010, all the movies we've talked about so far have come out in that, that, span and yeah. like it's almost kind of like you can almost see that marvel engine sort of changes the way it, it the marvel engine yeah. changes it in in the, in the sense that all of all of these adaptations are now living on like netflix and amazon now yeah. instead and we're gonna we'll talk about that here in just a minute but um like there's this kind of this renaissance of these kind of adaptations all in that five-year gap and we're still seeing it but it's just interesting that they all sort of i mean we'll, yeah. we'll wait to we get to your number one but it's there's a lot a lot of, uh, really, a really lot of solid creativity in that in that you know span.
1: Absolutely. What what is your number 3?
0: Okay, it's going to be a little interesting. I have to, it's one of those where you have to <laughs> remind yourself that uh, yes, this was also a graphic novel. Um, in this particular case it's a French graphic novel called Le Transpersonnage, uh, Le Transpersonnage, which um, the uh, later became the the film, the Bunjaqui bon uh film Snowpiercer. Whoa! And so Yeah, yeah. And so again, I did another not know one, the
1: name of that in French. I just knew it was from a graphic novel.
0: Well, and I had sort of lightly heard that, but this was this is 2013, 14. So I was just yeah. coming back into comics. I yeah. was still very particular um, about what I was getting. So I, you know, this hadn't quite crossed my list yet. So later on I was like, oh man, I should go back and, and revisit. And it was actually when I was, I think I was in Portugal and I was like, I should I should just grab that and oh, cool. you know, kind of get into it. So I got an English translated copy of it. And it's a lovely little book. There's a lot that they take for, I don't know about the TV show so much. I think it's trying to do its own thing. Um, you know, it's loosely based on it, but I think the movie is based on a lot of it, but then it definitely goes in its own. Um, you know, Bungie does his own, his own sort of like class commentary thing, which he's so good at. But um, you,
1: you still describe it as an adaptation. Like it is faithful oh, enough to yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the themes and plot. Okay.
0: Yes, there are things and elements that like if you read the book and you watch the movie, you 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 know, you the journey may be a little different, but you arrive at the same destination cool. Basically. Um and so like I, I mean the movie came out in like I said, thirteen fourteen. It was if you recall, they had actually Allison Pill is in that too. And Chris Evans. And Chris Evans, <laughs> speaking of like, man, this just there's there's a trend here. Um, I had forgotten Alison Pill was in that as well. No, it came out in thirteen fourteen. They'd filmed it, and I remember seeing like stills for it on IO nine, which was still readable at the time, and like just going, "This looks really interesting. I can't wait till this comes out." And then yeah. it was delayed for like a year, and I forget why. But there's all these kind. I think there was distribution problems mm. and all these things, and so then it finally finally came out, and only in indie theaters at first. It reminded me a lot of. The Donnie Darko release situation where just kind of mm. it struggled because just no one knew what to do with it, which is too bad. Cause like now, you know, it's a no-brainer. But I mean, Tilda Swinton, for God's sake, alone, should have sold that movie. So they finally put it out. I saw it in theaters. I freaking fell in love with it. It is the, it is the I mean, of all my picks, it is probably my the tightest one on my list. Where it just it, there's not a wasted second in that entire thing. Everything is. It, you know everything is exactly the right length everything is earned the story never you're never bored you're never like taken out of it in fact if anything the further they get into the train on their journey like the more you're you, know, you relate to these characters it's just it's so efficient it introduces you to a lot of like korean movie um tropes that you know you may not have been familiar with so that idea when and spoilers if you haven't seen it, like at one point Chris Evans is, you know, kind of co-leading the the team. They get to a certain car of the train, and there's all these guys with like black, you know, kind of black military-style gear on, black face masks, and a bunch of machetes and axes and things. And this and what follows is like a five to ten minute just bloody kind of just mm. battle. And that's apparently a sort of a very Korean kind of thing. Like that pops up in movies a lot where there's sort of this like very extreme kind of gang violence kind of thing I, they have a name for it i'm i'll butcher it if i try to say it so you can look that up um but i mean the cat once again there, there's another theme just with these all-star casts ed harris who appeared in a history of violence um he's in it and actually uh it's been long enough now where if you haven't seen snow piercers I, I don't it, i can't which i have to answer not this. <laughs> well <laughs> oh, okay I, I i'm not spoiling this is
1: the director of parasite and or- yes yeah.
0: yes Yes, yes, Good yes. Job. This is yeah. the first thing I became aware of his. Um, I didn't even know Ed Harris was in it until the very end. Uh, and, and somebody actually kind of spoiled it for me a little bit, but I didn't quite pay attention. So thankfully, I was just like, holy shit, it's Ed Harris. And I, it may have been a little too distracting because I'm a big Ed Harris fan. Um, but he's in it. Chris Evans is in it. Uh, Allison Pills in it. Tilda, of course. Wow. Um, what it, What's really interesting is that the script, the, the character she plays in the script is written as a guy. And she gets the role and she's like, do not change anything. Don't change the script. Just have it be, because they keep referring to her as sir. And like, you know, like um, they'll say like, you know, it's very gender neutral. And the, the way she plays it is, yeah, you know, it's not, it's not masculine, but she's, it's such a extreme character that I, it's just one of those things that I, I'm glad she said that because it just gives it an extra element of, of, I don't know, just kind of bizarre, sort of surrealist kind of quality. Um, and if you have, if you're not familiar with the storyline, uh, humanity, in its effort to fix global warming, starts screwing with um, screwing with the sky, much like they did with the Matrix. Only in this reality, um, it flips global warming too far the other way, and then there basically recreates the ice age. And this guy named Wilfred uh, builds this super awesome train that can travel all the world's tracks in a continuous loop. Has a perpetual motion machine inside of it, and every you know everybody who can flees onto the train. There are rich people who had purchased tickets there in the front, you know, the train and all the poor people who couldn't purchase tickets get put in the back. And basically this train becomes a microcosm of the world where Hmm. you have these, you know, all these one percenters living in luxury and a bunch of people living like crap. And again, Bong Joon-hoi does a great job of like telling this class story. And he kind of the original graphic novel has that in it, too, but he takes it a little further in his adaptation. So, it's one of those things where the, you know, it makes you appreciate the, the original book. You can love them both, but as an artist, he does mess with it a little bit, which kind hmm. of going back to Watchmen might have been one of the critiques, which is like, "Hey, he didn't really change anything. The thing he did change, we hate." I think in this case, it was like, "Oh, he changed stuff, but it was actually it made sense with what he was trying to do and where he was going." Um, so yeah, snow piercer. and I Oh, to to really uh, name check the comic um, La Transcend, I can never say it, La Transcend. <laughs> you know? um, it came out in 1982, if you're curious. Oh, wow.
1: Okay, so it, that's one of those that, like, had to gestate for a while before yeah, it the Yeah, but right think about that. A,
0: a South Korean director, indie director, adapts a French graphic novel and then, like, you know, casts it with a bunch of Americans and Brits. Like, yeah. just what a crazy world we Thir- live in.
1: 30 years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool.
1: Uh, Number two. I... I hope I surprise you with this, and I hope it's a good surprise. Um, Ghost World.
0: Oh man, I wondered if you weren't going to bring this up. This is so, like this is the one that gets kind of called out a lot by like the real hardcore fans. Like me.
1: I just yeah, I mean it's such a, a perfect movie. Um, it's the graphic novel by Daniel Close and it was directed by Terry Zwigoff. And uh, I, I mean, I don't even know. Like I just sort of like ghost world go see it. it 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 feels like an you know it is and it feels like an indie movie but that's also what closed comics feel like and it's just shot in such a way that's like respectful of clothes work and perfect for that genre you know like they like the the tone of voice works with this this movie's aesthetic as well as with the comics aesthetic and it and I, you know, Scarlett Johansson, Dora Birch, Steve Buscemi, like <laughs> it's, it's such. Does Steve uh,
0: Buscemi play Norman?
1: He, uh, ooh, you just threw me off. Or I, he S- I thought his name was Seymour. Seymour, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Norman just threw me off too, but I, you know, this, I don't know. It was just like, it was a, a movie too, that I think it, it holds a place in my heart because it, uh, it, it felt like. You're in on something when you saw it, when it came out, it was like, oh, the, you know, the these two girls are like they're going to grow up and be amazing at stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you know, you, you saw Scarlett. Oh, Durant's you mean as and, like, actresses? Yeah. Yeah. Not just as characters, yeah, it, it, yeah. No, like I mean, yeah. More more because of the actors themselves. Like it was like, oh, right. And then I want to say it was before American Beauty, but it might have actually been after American Beauty. For Thorberg, uh, so out. and it, it just you know Buscemi was Buscemi even at that time, which was two thousand one. Um, it was just uh, it's you know, yeah. It's it, I don't know. It for me it fits in that perfect little canon of like here's how you adapt an indie comic to screen, and yeah. you um, you know, it's just a a, a lovely synthesis of all of that, like the visuals and the tone of voice and everything. It's uh, a
0: beloved graphic novel. Um yeah. and it's just but it's it's always that I mean it never fails in every bookstore and every comic book store. It's always you know plastered on the cover, adapted into a you know a yeah. hit movie. And I was always and, like, oh okay interesting. I understand i want to check that out one day. Forgot
1: that well or I didn't know. I knew I knew uh uh Zwygoff was connected in somehow to he 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 did crumb the book uh, or, sorry a movie about our crumb um hmm. but that was 94 i that was what i didn't even realize that and it's not a movie that i saw and then but i knew he did art school confidential oh, in 2006 yeah. so yeah. you know it was definitely he's a person who understood how to translate that aesthetic that indie comic aesthetic uh he also did uh bad santa so i'm I don't seeing know. that don't don't well, do you, are that you also
0: him. are you also saying that one of the producers on ghost world was john malkovich which totally tracks,
1: you know, it, it feels like that kind of indie movie that Malkovich would have been part of in 2001, you know, that was, yeah. that still felt like a, a kind of wild west for adaptations and stuff in that, True. in that time, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. So I, 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 that was one that like jumped into my head when you mentioned adaptations and, and then as I whittled through them, it just kept moving up the list. And nice, so sure. I, I, yeah. Anyway, what about your, your number two?
0: All right, number two, we're going to go a little bit of a different direction and talk about a TV show adaptation. I knew you were sneaking one
1: of these in when you said TV yeah, at the top of this episode, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'll allow actually, it. Actually,
0: truth be, truth be told, I actually two of the five on my list were, and then I rearranged some things, uh, okay. rethought some things, and so now just one is. But it's a number. it's a good number two. It's a solid, solid number two. It would be very hard to bump this off especially after the most recent season of the oh Umbrella Academy. Oh, um, whoa. Okay. I, you know, I really dug that season one on Netflix and to be f- just to clarify season one, very loose, but still very much an adaptation of the you know, volume one of the, gra- of the you know trade paperbacks season two, the same, a little more liberal uh, with the adaptation, but still very much an adaptation of that second volume. I don't know if the third one's going to. I think it probably will. But they're deviating enough where you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they just kind of break away because they're doing some really cool stuff on the TV show. Okay. Um, but one of those where I had not, you know, I had heard of it but never picked it up, never even looked at it. Uh, they announced the yeah. Netflix show. So I was like, you know, I'm going to grab one or two issues and just make sure I kind of have an understanding of this so I can compare and contrast. And I think the, the comics are... Are, are fun. You know, they have a very specific art style. They feel more like just really stylized children's books in terms of the way they draw the characters. Like very raw right. doll kind of just has that sort of, or Madeline kind of has that vibe to it. Um, I'm sure people are like Madeline. what? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's, it's real. Um, but they do, they're, they're very much, they, they are very much caricatures in the comic and for good reason. Right. So the TV show takes a lot more nuance to everybody and it does, specific things to, to specific characters that I think are much deeper, much more meaningful. Um, and, the, and just the aesthetic of the show, you know, that first season's great, but that second season really figured out what it, you know, what it wants to look like, what it wants to sound like that second season is rock solid. Um, you know, that first season has maybe a episode or two, which could have been a little stronger, but overall, like I loved where it started and I loved where it ended. And I love a lot of the things along the way that second season sold me, you know, hundred percent. Like this is my new game of Thrones. This is like this. Uh, I'm speaking look of forward. another great ap- adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, for, for a period of time, it was, um, you can listen to our show Wednesday in Westeros to see where that, that went wrong. Um, but like they, uh, no, it's just, it's, it's really, really good. They, you know, they do a time travel thing in the second season where I, th- I think it would be, it's more like what an American doctor who could be like, because there's you know these, these wonderful kind of familial relationships between these Hargraves kids. um, I don't want to spoil too much because if you haven't seen the show yet, like there's a lot of, if I, if I leak too much, it'll yeah some of that's worth discovering in real time. So yeah. I would just check it out. The show is doing some interesting things and this third season that they haven't started filming yet um, should be really fun because now, you know, season one was kind of that whole... Um, yeah, you know, we got to get the band back together and they do season two was, okay, the bands back together. How do we solve all, you know, how do we make sure we, we've solved all our problems with each other? And they do. So season three is like, they're, you know, they're a tight family unit and now they have to basically in, you know, engage with or fight with another tight family unit. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that, that sort mm. of dynamic plays out. Um, but I, I, you know, it's maybe a year ago would have been my number five or number six. Season two has pushed it like I wow. said, clearly into number two. So let's, well, I'm,
1: Great to hear, because I have not checked it out, and I I think other than just a couple of passing mentions, I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast at all. Oh, so my God. That's it's, very cool.
0: And it's, you know, the cat, the ensemble nature of it works really well. Right, right. The guy that they cast as uh, Reginald Hargraves, I liked him a lot in season one. They gave him a lot more to do in season two, and he's Ooh. just that, he's he's the show for me. Like, his, his character's mystery and what he is, he's the guy that puts the Umbrella Academy together. Um, but just, I don't know, there's a... There's just a quirkiness to it. There's just there's it it just hits all the right notes with me, all the right notes. So anyway, we've we've got a number one pick from you, I believe. And I know
1: I've been uh, anticipating this for days. Uh, (laughs) So um, you you said at the outset that that we're we're talking subjectively, but I really feel like objectively, I got to tell you, this is the number one comic adaptation of all time. I mean, okay. just there's no all argument, right. really. All right. Well, we'll see. Uh, I Also a French comic. So I, I love that you chose the Snowpiercer adaptation. Um, I'm sure we're, all of our listeners are familiar with the the French comics of Pierre-Christine and Jean-Claude uh, Mésiré. Um, and, of course, I'm talking about Valerian and the City of a Thousand
0: planets. No! <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not.
1: <laughs> Which... Is just one of the best. Oh, Movies, you're serious? Aesthetic, uh, you know, visions realized. <laughs> you're, you're serious. I mean, w- what what argument can anyone have against this movie? It was just, it was clearly genius oh, from the outset. <laughs> um, obviously, I'm being a little tongue in cheek here, but we have also, but it is for real on my list. I may have bumped it up to number one. What? Just just to be a troll. Oh, okay. But, all right. All right. Uh, I. <laughs> I have very... never
0: seen. I've never seen Dean DeHaan nap more in a movie in my entire life. Same with Cara Delevingne. It's just like they were
1: obviously half asleep. We could do hours on <laughs> the bad things in this movie, <laughs> but we I want... do want to offer the serious um, point that uh, th- that there (laughs) oh boy it's just even i mean i was like writing things down to try to figure out how to talk about this well look Uh, let's
0: real quick if you're not aware this was the ultimate indie passion project luke bassan somehow conjured millions upon millions of dollars hundreds of millions of dollars from various investors to make this and he did not care he's like this i'm going to make what i see in my head I mean, it, it was it was like kind of the ultimate of George Lucas hubris. It just had all those benchmarks where nobody at any step of the way told him, hey, Luke, you may not want to do that. And whoever, the, I, if anybody did, they were quickly silenced and removed from set. And that it was is, I, I so I have,
1: I you know, I at one point did research uh like how beloved was this series, Valerian and Valerian a Laureline or however you would pronounce it um, because in the French series they were co-equals whereas in the movie uh, Dean DeHaan's character gets top billing um, which is totally strange if you have any affection for this movie you and I have this funny history of it because we both watched it on video around the same time
0: yeah. and then
1: discussed how terrible it was and and talked about how we should do a podcast like a watch through about it and I said, "Oh, how did this get made? It's already like shredded it." And you had sent me a, a video from I can't remember if it was how it should have ended or something else that was like shredded it as well. Cinema
0: sins, cinema sins.
1: And it <clears throat> it's, it's uh, clearly has some problems, <laughs> a lot, a lot of problems. But I, for me, um, I so after I watched it, and then after the pandemic began, and we were spending a lot of time at home, <laughs> just watching things. Um, I texted you and said, "Hey, Valerian is 7.99 on Google Play. I'm really tempted," and oh you God. sent back this like series of emphatic te- texts that were, "Do not, do not indulge in this. You it know, will haunt. It will it will taint the rest of
0: it. your digital collection by just association. You'll be like, Ugh, right?" And I which I, I took anything.
1: seriously. I was like, "Yeah, it's going to be one of those things that I that's like you know because you can't just take you can't give." When you buy something digitally, you can't just like, you know, sell it at the Great Escape or something, <laughs> get yeah, rid of yeah. it. Like, yep. it's just stuck there in the Google library it's forever. Yep. Um, and you scroll
0: past it every single time you go back in your, your history.
1: I, fortunately, it's at the end of the alphabet, All but right. um, I have watched it a couple of times during the pandemic, and a couple of
0: times, oh my god
1: and then re- rewatching it that first time i i was just like you know it looks so good and everything it, okay. Besson did to make look. this look is fantastic and it ha- it has that feel that i'm looking for from a comic book adaptation which is it's captured all the zaniness that i assume is in the comic and and it has a really slick sci-fi look to it and it it's I mean, it's just undeniable, you know? And and I, of course, the reason this is all stuck in my head is because Fifth Element was such like a standout sci-fi yeah. movie that Basel well, did, and no one knew he could yeah. do something like that. And it was exactly, like,
0: oh right? So it's like Fifth Element is the reason he was able to attract the talents of Rutger Hauer, Ethan Hawke, and Clive Owen for Valerian. Like, you're like, what? Every time one of those guys would appear, I'm like, what are you doing in this mess? But it's and two, two of
1: those people are in it for about 30 seconds.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. But like, I, I'm sure the answer to each of those is, well, did you see fulfillment? Like, yeah, did Gary Oldman he did a badass. Like, like, yeah, that, exactly. awesome. Like, like did you see what he
1: did to to for Bruce Willis and Mila Jovovich? Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that that put them in a context that made them work in the zany movie. Oh um, yeah, it, it is but such.
0: Like, he just <laughs> happened to cast the two like two actors who just couldn't have given less of a shit. Like. I challenge you to rewatch that and just if you can, I I have an easy time of doing this. Some people don't, but try to project, like John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, into oh, yeah. that into those roles, and just see if that. I mean, you'll I, want to keep that that way. You won't want to change it. It's like these. Oh, I, I don't know. I think know. the
1: um, I think the problem with that is that they would then outshine. They would they would just call attention to how bad the scripting is between those two characters. Sure. So master, you you yeah. when I wanted to to. Purchase it you cautioned me when you In your in your series of emphatic Texts you Or <laughs> Stop, no actually you, it back. wasn't then it was When uh, we talked about um, uh, Carnival Row And you asked me about Cara Delavine's Performance in that and I said I actually don't think she's Bad and I don't think she's the bad Element in valerian i think she's working with a terrible script that totally sidelines larlene in that mm-hmm. and dean DeHaan. and this this is the thing that made it rewatchable to me because i i thought he was terrible the first time i watched it through i was like he's he's the worst he's the thing dragging this down <laughs> but then on the how did this get made episode someone pointed out that he's not a, like his acting is just imitating keanu reeves in point break And there is actually a moment where someone questions him and he says, we're federal officers. And it is (laughs) exactly the tone and timbre of Keanu Reeves saying FBI. You know, it's like exactly the same thing. And once that snapped into place, I was like, you know what, I can watch this because now I just think he's doing a terrible impression of Keanu Reeves.
0: But this just said, this just proves that Luke Besson was not giving any care to the performances and everything was a single take it and is, all he all he was interested in was the look. He was like well, ha- it has to look like I'm wanting it to. Uh right. that was great. It I, is a, a
1: classic George Lucas yes. prequel mistake, which is the yeah. You've got to stand there and say your line cuz <laughs> I I do wonder if they filmed it in order because at the very end of it, you keep seeing Cara Delevingne's like personality breakthrough a little bit more in all her lines. And I'm like, and especially when they put her in like regular clothes, you know, for the the futuristic sci-fi thing. It's like when she's in the armor, you kind of have a hard time of telling like, what's, you know, is she? is she just, is, are these just bad lines or is she giving a bad read of them? Whatever. At the end you can tell, like she's kind of sneaking in some stuff and you're, you're, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. thinking like, Oh yeah, this was the end of the whole shoot. She's ready for it to be over. She's kind of, you know, like I'm tired of his one take nonsense or whatever. Not that we know he was doing one take, but you also need to know that he created like this book of the aliens. Lupe Sonde that was like legendarily like 500, 700 pages long or something. Gave oh, it gave it to God. every member of the cast and was like, oh, learn this huge <laughs> you know encyclopedia that I've created about this world See, so yeah but he did such a good job of building the world and then he forgot about the script and it's because he
0: was doing he was doing all that shit and he what he should have had he should have just been the writer and creative director and then you know slash producer and have somebody else direct it and then just work very very closely with that person just you know or, I'm reminded of, of like when um or like Python's, Lucas
1: just have someone write it like, yeah, I, I, yeah, get, yeah. get your, uh, uh, who am I forgetting? The Lucas, uh, uh, Lawrence Kasdan. Have him yes. come in and write it. Have that guy that says, this interplay between Dehan and DeLavine, it is terrible, dude. It's just like, let's just pull the whole thing out. So it, I, if I had any video editing skills, this would be my Hobbit, where I go into ah. it and try to pull this down to like an 80-minute cut, that it totally excises the... The basically non-existent love plot, but just the thing where Dean DeHunt keeps asking Cara Delavine to marry him, and you're like, "Why? We haven't seen any affection between you yeah, two. Yeah. Like this is terrible. What it's what a well, stupid I was, thing to I, just I, shoehorn into I,
0: this." I, <laughs> I actually thought that that was like shorthand for something else that they were going to reveal. Right. At the end. Like exactly. and getting married is like eating space ice cream. And here we are like, we're getting married. See? And it's like, Oh, that's a funny little in joke. It was, you know, but no, he was, he meant it. And, and here's oh, maybe
1: it was faithful to the French comic, which began in yes. 1967. So yeah. it may have had a more, uh swashbuckling kind of, uh, you know, s- space theme to it. Um, Cause you, you know, you think about like a, that's pre-Star Wars, and it's True, like yeah. around the Star Trek era, but it's still a little. Well, I don't remember when Star Trek debuted, um, but right around that time, you know. So it's still like what? What are their examples that came before this? Um, but I will only. I can only stand up uh, for this movie by saying like it is just gorgeous, and yeah, yeah. once you watch it through a few times, you understand the plot. <laughs> And I'll also This is a terrible uh, 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 Damning through Through faint praise Or through terrible praise Kind of thing Which is it, At some points It's such a mess That when you rewatch it You'll discover Huge entire sections of this That had just left Your brain entirely And you're like Oh wow This is another gorgeous <laughs> uh, Set piece I get to watch here Which I yeah, completely man. forgot about Which has happened to me Even though I've seen it Like three times now or three You or know four.
0: who would have been A great uh, uh, What the hell is Dean DeHaan's uh, Major Valerian Nathan Fillen. Because he would have done it completely mm. unironically. It would have just been earnest, and I think that's how you make that script work. I was looking to see, and yeah, Luc Besson wrote the screenplay for yeah, Valerian. He did. but he he also wrote the screenplay for Fifth Element. I know. Um, So it's like, you know, he's done it before. But then if you think about it, the Fifth Element screenplay, if you just read it, it's not as good as it is performed. So I think some of those actors elevate that considerably. And if you get I, Nathan fill in some of that, like where, if he asked, would you marry me? Like you almost expect like, Oh, he's kind of sincere, but oh, that's cute. Like it would be more like that. And not just this weird off putting thing that keeps happening.
1: I, I don't understand. I honestly, until you said his name, I have not bothered to spend the tiny amount of energy it would take to put that lead actor's name into my brain. So Nathan uh, Fillion? no, no, no. Dana uh, yeah. I'm just trying, I'm trying not to remember it right now because I just I don't care like he's just it's just he's just a a cipher you know um and I and I think at least Cara Delevingne has been has shown in like uh Carnival Row that you know she's I think pretty good and so I hope you know to see her in other things um
0: she was not good in Suicide Squad though she's again you know (laughs) well yeah she didn't have much to do yeah that was awful um
1: I it's uh I know it's a frustrating movie so I do offer it with this like half sincerity if we were objectively ranking no I would not put it number one but <laughs> um I did want to call attention to it because I I just really enjoy it like there are a lot of times where I it's it's definitely a movie where I don't live in a uh, my I don't have a TV I don't have that like old old you know I remember when I had it well I had this TV like I don't twelve years ago. At, right at the time Lord of the Rings made it to TBS And there could just be those Saturdays Where I would just flip on you know TBS and watch The entire trilogy while I was like doing laundry And cleaning dishes Damn. and stuff yeah. this is one of those Movies where <laughs> I would love to just throw It on in the background and every time I look up I'm like Oh man that's so crazy looking You know but I don't really have that luxury so It's you know I I have to Intentionally watch it and and that is Maybe not the best way to <laughs>
0: You know movie. what that you know what that movie is knew for this me? I
1: would divert us so far. I'm sorry. You know
0: what that movie is for me? That background movie that just that, that never fails to keep giving the What's informant. That? I was going to say I Oh heard yeah that yeah, we we before.
1: actually have agreed about that. Like yeah. um yeah, that's a crazy one that I own on DVD, you know.
0: Damn. That um, if you haven't seen The Informant, go watch it. It is it only gets better with time. Um for a variety of reasons. One yeah, like I might just, <laughs> uh, sure, sure. Just like well, Matrix we, Three. <laughs> before we get to my, oh god, don't even start with that. Before we get to my number one pick, I do want to ask you. Since I mentioned Suicide Squad, have you seen the teaser trailer for the James Gunn uh, reboot of that? I have not,
1: but I did just recently try to watch Birds of Prey and okay. found it just as loathsome as Suicide oh, Squad. No.
0: really, that's too bad. I
1: I, I had. St- I thought that I had heard some hype that like they had kind of fixed the problems from suicide squad, but I mean it starts and I I felt like wow, I'm right back in suicide squad. this is terrible. I hate this they, aesthetic uh, I hate this characterization
0: Ugh. oh dude I would I would go find there's a featurette that uh kind of walks you through what they've shot so far. It's kind of functions as a sort of pseudo trailer. Yeah. And then there is a character reveal, like a, and they show the comic book kind of drawing, and then they show the actor in the costume in like a still shot. And it's done very stylized and very interesting. But I love the so, – so both of those will give you a very clean understanding of what he's doing, and it's going to be a very, very different aesthetic. He's leaning in. He's giving okay. us um, – he's leaning in very heavily to sort of the, the, you know, kind of the 70s pulpy sort of look of everything which is really cool. But the thing that made me laugh was the character reveal sort of vignette. It looked like that SNL sketch where they just kept introducing different MCs for a rap song. Like it starts with the, the rock and then just everybody starts every two <laughs> seconds. Some new MC joins in. It's like right. that. They just keep listing freaking characters. You're like, at some hmm. point, do, who is the squad here? Because they, I mean, everybody from Peter Capaldi to John Cena to like, you know, all the you know, people you've seen in the last movie. I mean, somehow Jai Courtney survives to, to boomerang another day. He's back. Oh, um, but that almost makes me like, I almost wonder if he's going to get killed off in, like the first minute. Just like, and he's like, you know, ju- just,
1: just like that climbing guy that gets blown away in the first oh, that squad.
0: Yeah, but exactly, exactly. But just like it it looks I'm really interested to see what he does with this. He looks like he's having all the fun. It look it makes Guardians of the Galaxy look like a like a church service in terms of like the just the kitchen, you know, the kitchen sink aspect of everything. Sure. It's what what like,
1: would Guardians be like if everyone were a chaotic evil character?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what this that's what this and there's like 55 of them. Like here they all oh, are. Boy. I just it looks amazing. So I encourage you to go watch that. But well, anyway, I'll,
1: I'll give a quick shout to I, I just recently, in prep for this episode, watched a thirty-five-minute video <laughs> oh, called Jesus. "The Art of Editing and Suicide Squad" by uh, uh, his YouTube account is Folding Ideas, but okay. it, it was it was a great dissection of like how many problems just kept snowballing in Suicide Squad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Interesting. What is okay, your number well, one? Let's hit. This. And
0: this is this is both the pick. This is the thing that kind of kicked off this episode, where I was like, "Oh my god, oh, we nice. have to talk about our our favorite comic adaptations because this particular movie um, is for now and forever my number one. Like it'll be it'll be a feat of sheer impossibility to dislodge, um, unless I mean." You know, unless somebody wants to get really creative with adapting like East of West or something. I mean, there's there's a few chances that it could, um, but it's going to be very, very difficult. I will also preface this by saying, first, this is probably going to be my most controversial pick because of when we say adaptation, this is the loosest. This is the loosest adaptation. I thought I knew what it
1: was. and Now I don't
0: of any of them. Well, and the other the other interesting consideration i mentioned before we a lot of our picks seem to kind of focus on that that gap but specifically uh my number five a history of violence came out in 2005 your number five 300 no i'm sorry uh uh was sin city no you just you I name 300, sin city. 300 but you name check name check sin city which is yeah. also 2005 this movie my number one pick also 2005 so what a hell of a great year and also that was the same year batman begins came out so just a freaking great Year of comic book adaptations that we or, or comic book movies in general, we seldomly recognize. I just want to kind of plant that flag and be like, remember two thousand five? Like there was were, hmm. they, we got a lot of great stuff. Well, V for Vendetta came okay. out in two thousand five.
1: I thought you were going to throw and, me a real curveball.
0: <laughs> oh no 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 no! It's it <clears throat> and it's one of those things where, much like with Watchmen, uh, you know, I saw the movie first, fell in love with the movie. And then was like I have to I have to consume the book, bought the and, book, owned the book, and unlike Watchmen, it. well, yeah, and unlike Watchmen, I just you know I appreciate that it exists because you know it had to be created for the movie to be made, right? So just in, by that sheer fact alone, and it, you know there's a lot that it does that are, is interesting, but the movie makes all the right moves and. Going back to your original point, the whole reason this came up is we were talking about the Matrix, and how many times the Wachowskis have just utterly just crapped the bed, you know. Since the Matrix, the Matrix was so great, and they just you know they were given chance after chance after chance for do, do other things, and a lot of those things just failed. But some of those things did really really well. They didn't direct V for Vendetta, but they co-wrote it the the screenplay um, with David Lloyd, uh, who does the uh, graphic novel art. And so Lillian Lana wrote it. James McTeague directed it. If you want to, if you're oh. curious, oh, James McTeague, who, what has he Wait. done? Um, he was very, uh, uh, I think he was the second, he was the a second. Oh, he was the second unit director on the matrix movies. Um, okay. V for Vendetta was the very first thing he directed as a solo director, uh, has since done episodes of TV sense eight, another Wachowski project, Marco Polo. Um, he actually directed that reboot of the the Raven, which I don't remember. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of too bad because what he does with V for Vendetta is just perfect. Everything about it just works so well for me. Let's start with the cast. Um, I, you know, I I'm my wife too. I somehow sometimes drag her into this, but I am obsessed with you know if there's a cast for a movie that doesn't quite work, I'm obsessed with trying to like cast it myself. Like who who could it have been? How could this have been made made better? My classic example is Kingsman Two. You you take away Julianne Moore as Poppy and you put in Jane Lynch, and that movie instantly changes, like for the better. Like it's just it's it's a she's a huge huge kind of loose. I can't even think of my words. She's a huge loose wheel, loose wheel, loose case, loose loose bolt, loose shaky bolt, uh, shaky wheel, uh, something. V for Vendetta does not have this problem. this is my point. Uh, every single person is absolutely cast perfectly. You know, Hugo Weaving as V, uh, you know, a guy who very distinct face, very recognizable face is, uh, you know, performing the entire movie behind a mask, more or less. Um, And, you know, some of the stunts are obviously a stunt guy in a mask, too. But like Hugo Weaving doing the voice, I think he had to ADR all his lines. So he had to basically do his lines a second time in a lot of cases. Oh, boy. Um, So just the commitment of that. But just his his ability to use his voice to create this character, to give a life to this mask that we see so often now, it's become so ubiquitous. It's just, I mean, he he absolutely crushes it. Natalie Portman, um, my favorite. I mean, I think it's the best thing she was in because I think Black Swan came after this. This was the yeah. best thing she was in since The Professional, right? Like she just she 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 delivers everything. She has to do all the things. Like this, you know that character yeah. was written. As a challenging role for for some actress, she crushes it. Stephen Fry crushes it, but most importantly, John Hurt on just he owns that Suttler role. Um, now, interesting little note in the comic in the graphic novel, if you read it, Suttler, who's the the high chancellor, um, you know this this corrupt political party kind of sweeps in, and you learn that they, and in the book, it's more or less the same way. They kind of sweep in, they engineer. A uh, biological disaster and are able to sort of you know convince the population to put them in they basically become a you know almost like the, the the Chinese Communist Party they become basically like a you know the only party and they just kind of achieve authoritarian control John Suttler is the high chancellor of this whole thing in the graphic novel when you see him he is in his you're seeing him from almost like behind his shoulder in his office looking at four or five small little screens the movie, rightfully so, switches that, where you never see John Hurt until the very end, like as you know, John Hurt himself, you know, as the character. He's always on this giant Big Brother Orwellian screen, and the people, who, you're seeing it from their point of view. You're in the sort of conference room, and you're seeing all them as small little characters, John Hurt or John Suttler, uh, big, you know, larger than life on the screen. That's like the perfect. That's the perfect adapt, adaptive strategy. It's like well, we're gonna take something from the comics. We're gonna we're gonna flip it because that you know just kind of a- achieves that Orwellian you know uh, trope even better, and it's more visually interesting to look at from the movie's perspective. That's what an adaptation should be.
1: Right, and I was gonna jump in there and say like that's uh, it is it is definitely one of those movies where it felt like it was like what I remember when I saw that and I, and it felt like how you were supposed to adapt a comic visually. Like you, you read, you know, your mind read this as like comic art that is moving. And I thought that was so great. And then the problem I had was like, I, I had picked up the graphic novel several times. I can't remember if it was before it came out or after I was aware of it. And just, and just, really hated the art and didn't think it came anywhere near that. So if anything, to me, that adaptation elevated it. So you could get, um, Alan Moore's story without having to deal with the disjointed art, which yes. Oh, hundred percent. Talk about that, but Uh,
0: you know, the art, I don't hate it. I don't love it. Uh, you know, I wish I, I, I would love to see V for Vendetta redone in somebody else's style just to see if I'd like it better. Um, you know, we don't, that's interesting i don't think we've ever talked about that we've never seen as far as i know anyway um with maybe with the exception of the recolorization of the killing joke we've never mm. seen an artist kind of remake another artist's work like you, know, you see it in movies all the time um see it in music all the time like no one's ever covered another person's story before that's interesting and even like on a small maybe on a small level they have i know i take that back there was a you i think you even mentioned it you did. You covered it in one of our episodes. There was a series of Stan Lee does the DC characters. Um, yeah, but books, they're not right? telling the
1: same stories. Oh, okay. Stan- oh that's Stanley's, true. Yeah. He's done his twist on the story. That's yeah. right. That's but right. That's, I'm talking about like yeah. the
0: actual like script. Now draw it differently. You know, let's see what that right. Anyway, the, the books, the graphic novels, art is okay, but the movie elevates it like t- to your point and just the color palettes are beautiful. Everything about it is yeah. beautiful. My what? one of my heroes, Roger Allum, freaking a he plays the kind of Glenn Beck talking head character that just is a just utter dirtbag. Like he's ama- everything about this movie. The guy who plays the um, the chief detective, Stephen uh, Stephen or Stephen Ray, I think it's Stephen Ray. Yeah, he's he's just amazing. I mean, everything about it. And there are some there's some vignettes um, throughout the uh, the one where she, where Natalie Portman's character, where uh, Evie is reading the you know the little letters in the when she's being held captive and she's reading the story of the woman who you know had a wife and was taken and like all just that whole sequence. Amazing. The sequence where Stephen Ray like is starting to put it all together, like where uh Detective Finch is putting it all together and he's kind of like explaining everything. Beautiful. The scene where Hugo Weaving as V as like a homeless guy is explaining everything. Like there are these just Perfect moments that the graphic novel never even comes close to touching, just executed at such a, I mean, this was like, I'm surprised it came off as well because you had to have Lana and Lily like the book enough to really care, but also have such a strong vision of what they wanted to do. And I think the yeah. biggest thing they changed, um, that I, if you're an Alan Moore purist, the thing that's going to drive you the most nuts is in the graphic novel, he you know, Alan Moore is a, a, a died in the wool anarchist like that's his religion essentially and so the v for vendetta book very heavily based on anarchist themes and that's the message it's about you know tear it all down end of story the movie is about justice the movie is about mm-hmm. restoring something that has been lost and like that a is more is just a more hopeful message um and you know more universal I think because I think more people more people want that than anarchy I mean just plain and simple so it's like i think it's, it's a better accepted story and it's just like you can see the characters interact with that in very interesting ways like you know even with uh stephen fry's character he's sort of the the, the uh uh
1: god i forgot he was in it
0: he's like the jay leno character i was gonna try i was trying to think of a, yeah. a british the graham norton character essentially he's um, like the stephen fry exactly <laughs> with his own talk show, but like he has like a secret underground sort of library of his own where he's like squirreled away all his like, um, you know, political art essentially. And like, that's you, everyone interacts with the story in a very interesting way up until the very end. Everything about it just works, 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 works. I love everything. I mean, and, and that again, probably the loosest adaptation, but to your point, one that elevates that book to such a level where I almost every once in a while I'll go back and kind of revisit the book. And I'm just like, man, I almost want the book. I almost want a graphic novel version of the movie to be my new version of the book. Well, I
1: I don't know if we talked about on the podcast, but I know you and I have talked about before as we understand it. And correct me if I'm wrong, that the history of that, that book is that it, it was not on, I think it, I think it eventually came out on vertigo maybe, but I don't think it was on that imprint originally. It was, it was like on an indie and there were different artists between the issues or something, you know, it was like, it, it, it always felt like, oh, once once you hear uh, once you heard that, it you realize like this book was a real struggle to sort of make cohesive. Yeah. In it the came first out in place
0: d- very different, diff- different time periods. And yeah, yeah it wasn't just one of like, it wasn't just like, hey, it comes out every month and it's done. It's very right. much, very much different. Yeah. Um, and I I'm think sure Alan
1: Moore was able to get all those stars to align for Watchmen. Which is why yes. I I think you hear more of that fan backlash against the movie, because the the book was such like a, a undisputed masterpiece. Whereas I I never really heard that criticism of V for Vendetta movie. I mm-hmm. I think I only heard fans say like they weren't going to see it or something. You know, but wasn't the book wasn't so cherished that it felt like oh you're, you're you know you're you're ruining this thing I loved. You're <laughs> you're Michael Baying my childhood or whatever terrible complaint. There. Yeah yeah you know? No, know.
0: And- well, and it, at the same time too, it was it kind of came out in that that period where not the you, the eye of Sauron was not on graphic novels and comic right. adaptations, and so people weren't th- approaching it from like a you know an ultimate fandom point of view. It was more just like, hey, what a great! I'm glad they did this. This is cool.
1: And yeah, and it was like a uh, a material that was dying to be adapted. Yeah. And how you were going to do that? It, that is just so dicey. And yeah. And then the Wachowskis had this vision for it, which I, I think now you just us talking about it, even when we talked about this in text last week, makes me want to go back and, and watch it again. You know, it's yeah. one of those movies where I'm like, even just to, just to, if I don't sit down and watch the whole thing, just feeling that aesthetic and just getting into that rhythm of it is like, Oh yeah, this is perfect. You know? Um,
0: well, and it's, and I hate to say this, but it is, you know, kind of considering the current climate of things, it's more relevant now. Appreciate, than I it, yeah ever would have been and you know it was relevant in 2005 too because that was kind of the middle of the the bush administration and there's some things that sort of kind of felt interesting now it's like i mean regardless of your political affiliation just you know with the pandemic and just the contentiousness and all this stuff going on like damn this is it's important to the you know the the message of justice and you know restoring kind of that sense of dignity is is a big theme but i think the other sort of theme peppered throughout is just you know subversion is a good thing yeah. right subversive art subversive speech subversive yeah. thought all of that is good it's it's fine and like you know you, the thought police the the you know the the you know taking the art and putting it away all of that was part of that regime and i just i that is an important message you don't see a lot in fiction these days especially film fiction it's just like that i I'll go back to that yeah. just to get a have a pick me up, and it almost well, makes me want to go buy subversive art all you know myself. Just like I gotta, I gotta have a Quran in my room for some reason. That's I don't know.
1: that's a great uh, crazy reference to Ghost World as well. That is that uh-huh. is a theme through Ghost World, um, which is a very contemporary, very realist uh, picture of that. Where yeah. Steve Buscemi Seymour has kept this a very racist work of art. Um, that is like a, a it's a corporate branding thing and he's like can you believe how racist this thing used to be and i think he, mm. he works for the advertising agency or something and then enid takes it to school for her you know like an art project and then of course it causes all these problems all these problems for everybody and it's it, but it's yeah that's a similar subversive like <laughs> the way that art functions as subversion in you know the mainstream society yeah that's which you that's know, a,
0: but it, it's, there's something really poetic about that because like that's one of our constant themes is that we like books that do that. you know I think the comics yeah. medium in general is best set up to do that even still. And so to see a movie based on a graphic novel doing that internally itself it just it's, it's such a nice nexus point for all the best stuff about comics in one thing and I, I think more than anything that's what a, you know the best comic adaptation is going to be something that celebrates the spirit of comics in addition to being a, you know a, a version of this thing you know, just all kind of fits together. I love it.
1: I, yeah, I'm so glad you said it that way because we, we talk a lot about comics. We like that could not exist as another medium. Yep. And so we're, it is cool to dedicate a show to, uh, to saying like, Hey, what actually succeeded in becoming another medium? Um, and obviously, uh, now I regret my choice of Valerian a little bit, but I I wish I'd had five very serious picks. But I, but no, it was interesting one, to examine <laughs> it, and I think it's always good to examine in the context of those other things and go, yeah, you, you know, you got to pay attention to all these things. You have to have that, um, you know, that relationship between Silk Spectre and Night Owl, like really resonate with you and feel real, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, man. What are, like, quickly, can you punch some of your also ran some of your honorable oh, mentions? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I'd be remiss, I mean, I've already mentioned Scott Pilgrim, we mentioned uh, Sin City. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Kick-Ass. Um, you know,
1: I wondered if that would make it to your list.
0: And I'm not even the biggest fan of that movie, but I love, uh, is it Matthew? Yeah, Matthew Vaughn. I love Vaughn. Matthew Vaughn. Um, and you know Matthew Vaughn obviously he did Kingsman. He's done X Men First Class. X-Men He's done a First bunch class, of stuff. Yeah. He did. He did. Strangely, people forget he did uh, Stardust too, which is a fantastic adaptation um, of just a great book, Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. book. Um, no, but Matthew Vaughn did did uh, did a Kick Ass, um, and puts some of his. You know he puts. He Mark Strong is kind of his muse, so he'll put him in anything. So yeah. you just, just you know come for Mark Strong, stay for the rest. But great gritty movie you know Nick Cage does a great job in it I'll also name check uh, the adaptation of Wilson I'm I reviewed, said
1: that yeah I wondered I when I picked Ghost World I wonder if that would come up
0: yeah and I, I reviewed Wilson on a previous uh, episode I think way back in the day oh way back, and yeah. uh, I know the movie had was just about to come out or had come out and uh, movies great like you know the, the problem with that is the book is almost like a series of vignettes yeah um, and so there's a you know there's a they're all related, you know, somehow, but they're very much like almost meant to be read in like a newspaper every week. So it's like, oh, there's, and then over time you can kind of see Wilson's life form together. The movie does a little of that, but the movie has to have more of a thread, um, so you don't kind of get the different. It's a bit of a different take on it, but the movie does some really interesting things, and Woody Harrelson cool. just crushes that character. You almost, it's almost depressing. I mean, it's a very, it's not a uplifting movie by any stretch. It's very kind of loyal to that. So I would definitely check that out too. Another Daniel
1: Close book. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And And can um, I, can
1: I blow your mind on this? Yeah. Episode number 48. Oh my God. So more than 100 episodes ago (laughs) was when we covered Wilson.
0: Damn. So go back and check that. I might do that just to see how I sound. If you haven't noticed, our sound has hopefully gotten better recently. We've been trying some new things. (laughs) You're all loving our, our voices in your ears as you go about your day. Anyway, um, yeah, those are those are my other two, and then you know it's, I'm sure others will come up as we as we go. My list might shift, um, but that number one, like I said, it's that number one's not gonna. I'm glad
1: change. you did that. And for whatever reason, the way we led up to it, like I verified that V V would be on your list and yep. then for whatever, but because Valerian was such a, uh, a bizarre sidetrack, <laughs> I forgot that we hadn't even talked about it yet. So it was actually a surprise when you were building up to number one, okay. I was like, you know, in my head, I was like, Oh yeah, V we get to talk about that. And then, and then, uh, I, I thought you were going somewhere else with it. So yeah, that is the one that kicked off this idea. Um, I will say for all of these comics and more um, visit us at panelism.inc. Uh, that is both our website panelism.ink and also our Instagram handle where uh, we are most likely to respond to you on Instagram.
0: Correct. Correct. And we'll have more coming soon. I think like we said in our last episode, I'm feeling as, as autumn has rolled around, I'm feeling a bit more inspired to make things again, it was—it's been a depressing sort of spring and summer. So I, I'm glad to sort of get a little my old, my old swing back in my step. I
1: have been doing what—I well, can't wait to like dig into this, but I've been doing a little bit of the um, the house cleaning that we talk about from time to time. So I'm I'm mm. interested to see how that comes into the comics. I, you know, uh, and I'll just just a teaser for that is I've been I've been getting a lot better at like just taking things out of the queue, and going, mm. you know what, no. I'm never going to watch this. Or I'm never going to read this, so let me just get rid of it, and then and that hopefully will move me into something to reading something more interesting. So
0: I'm uh, I'm very close to declaring a Netflix bankruptcy and possibly an Amazon bankruptcy. I get it, yeah. And you know, I think Netflix will come sooner than later, just because it's like, look, I even if I were to do nothing else and watch these, you watch all this stuff in my queue, I would not, I would have to only do that for like the rest of the year, and that's not like it's not a way to live. Like I I have. Too many things Yeah many, I know I will
1: resubscribe But I did It did hit that point With Netflix Where I was like I, I don't think I've watched Anything on Netflix That I've enjoyed this month Not for Netflix's fault There's plenty to enjoy there It's just like an Overwhelming You know uh, Disaster that my queue is So I just I just went Okay oh, I'm dude, just turning it think, off For next month You know
0: Next month is fine But then you'll have to come back And and delve into Umbrella Academy Because it is I'm, I think it's worth it
1: Yeah And there's a new show um, With a. Uh, uh, Millie Bobby Brown in it. Um, yes, Enola Holmes. Interesting. Yeah,
0: she plays the younger uh, sister of Sherlock Holmes and in this particular case, played by Henry Cavill, which I thought was a <gasps> kind of a gutsy move. I didn't
1: even know that. I just watched yeah. him in Mission Impossible Fallout last night.
0: <laughs> That's another man. We should do a whole. You know, we should do an episode where we just talk Mission Impossible because I'd you, love to go yeah. through every one of those movies. And Controversial
1: closing statement that we could just let. This is a cliffhanger. I think Mission Impossible may be, to you, what Fast and Furious is to
0: me. (laughs) I don't think that's controversial at all. I think you're absolutely spot on. That's a perfect, perfect...